Hello and welcome to Tell the Damn Story. I am Christopher Ryan, an award-winning hybrid author, teacher, multi-platform creative, and award-winning journalist. Uh, also on the mic is Kids Comic Con and the Color of Comics exhibition founder, Alex Simmons, an award winner since 1996, including an Inkpot Award from the San Diego Comic Con and three Glyph Awards from the East Coast Black Age of Comics Con. He has written Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, Batman, Superman, and Scooby-Doo, among so many more classic characters, and is the creator of the legendary African-American soldier of fortune, Aaron Blackjack Day, whose 1930s adventures comment on today's social problems. On Tell the Damn Story, we celebrate the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully, along the way, help you decide how you want to tell your own damn story. And today, to help us tell the damn story, or to tell his own damn story, is the legend, uh, returning guest. He may be our number one guest. He may be, have had the most appearances. Going with Ladies and enough. gentlemen, we please welcome out, back. the yes. one and only... Multi talented Cassine Games. Yay! Hello, 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 hello. Hello, hello. Oh, there's an echo in here. We have to have the technician take care of that. Listen, this, uh, this is a fun fact, but only because you mentioned the number of times I've been on. I met someone just yesterday, this is not a joke, who said, um, I really enjoy your podcast. And they were talking about Tell the Damn Story. And I, had to, and I had to tell them, it's not my podcast. I've I just guess. been on enough times where I, I think I must be a stockholder, I think, yeah, at some right. point. But, but it's, not my, it's not my podcast. But they said <laughs> they've listened to many episodes. And so they were congratulating me on the podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tell the Damn Story with your host, Kathleen Gaines. <laughs> Today's guests are Alex Simmons <laughs> and Chris Ryan. Right. The former <laughs> host of, of the show. Yeah. Now that guy is, that person is like, See, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Well, either way, folks are going to get a lot of casino gains today, more than they've ever gotten of him before, if you can believe that. They're going to get the full gains. Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, not only the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book that he's just had published, but we're going to talk about some of the other books preceding that and his career and the fact that there's a dude here who's not as old as I am. But Nobody one of the is. on this show actually knew Cassine at a younger point in his life and may, just may, have had something to do with Cassine's movement along this particular successful path that he's roaming. And so I just, was on a, just, I was on just a 24 year journey to drive Chris to retirement. But I, yeah. I, I just, finally, I finally just succeeded. succeeded. He was over there going, victory! Yes, victory. <laughs> and so you're going to just keep listening, folks, because you're going to pick up a lot of tips about writing, publishing, and the independent oh, yeah. experience of being a creative. And the oh. experience that he's having with Footnotes, uh, the current book, uh, is getting national attention. I'm sorry, and, what was that? Uh, What's it getting? National attention is, is that national that's like in the it's nation like, yeah it even got a local uh newspaper in new jersey wow one of the that's last ones to catch on but uh, <laughs> we, love it. we love that it did um and uh, i'll tell you one other thing before we jump into all of that is that when i was introducing mr Gaines, uh once again as i have been doing for 24 years uh i had a moment of panic because there's an ongoing conversation between Mr. Gaines and I uh, that I do not I do not pronounce his first name correctly. You've got and it now. You're, you're I got good. it now. I got it. it took okay. him 24 years. That's <laughs> <laughs> see? Yeah, see? Ladies and gentlemen, don't give up. Don't give up. You can do this. You can learn the language. All right. So um, uh, let me just... Tell everybody the full name of this uh, amazing book. It's called The Footnotes, The Black Artists Who Rewrote the Rules of the Great White Way. Um, and again, it's by our friend here, Kasim Gaines. Hold up the cover. Hold up the cover. Because one day yes, this video will. may show up somewhere. There yes. we go. There we go. Oh, look at that. That's pretty. Very beautiful. I love all this little detail right here. And um, I've been... 
I've been boring Kazin uh, with updates. Oh, I'm up to this chapter. <laughs> and, and this happening. And, um, you know, I've been uh, a fan of Mr. Gaines since he was an old soul in the seventh grade and throughout his high school career, where I was graced with his presence, not only in writing classes, but in several plays that I was roped into directing. Uh, and then when he was a senior, I got to walk past him in the hallway and just blow his spot up whenever he was talking to some female student. I would just make some lie about, oh, he just said that to another girl and keep walking. So uh, it's a long and uh, spotty history. No uh, one's been after you. <laughs> but I've got to um, enjoy watching or, or, or being like on the sidelines as Gaines, uh, Mr. Gaines, Cassine Gaines. Um, Games. Uh, first, he would call me while he was running up and down the highway uh, from, uh, check this Rutgers, guy out. Yeah. He was at Rutgers. He was an RA. He had a job in one of the last music stores in the planet. Uh, and then he would ride up to help run a local theater group in Hackensack. And I would be his entertainment on the highway. He'd call me up and all this sort of stuff. And then as he was doing all that stuff, occasionally he would ask me questions. And then I guess, I guess you were teaching when you uh, started talking, you would call me up about uh, Pee Wee Herman. Um, he had this idea for a book. Uh, he, can I do this? I got some interest. Am I going to, you know, and then there was, you know, there was a little pushback from the Pee Wee crowd and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I was amazed to watch uh, a bravery in both finding his voice and going through this, you know, unguided uh, um, adventure into publishing. And then um, he did a, a second one was the, um, the Christmas story. It was about behind the scenes of Pee Wee Herman and behind the scenes of Christmas story. And Which then two um, films so far we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then it was. Uh, the Back to the Future uh, franchise, and that, that yeah, now that one. So he got, you know, Pee Wee Herman's people tried to, hey, you can't do this. And then he got uh, the Christmas story experience was going to the house where the actual Christmas story was filmed and meeting uh, the inhabitants of a Christmas story, the people who were in it and the people who worshiped the film. And it was, you know, like stepping onto another planet. But when he did back to the future, I mean, there's some heavy hitters in there and he, who could he talk to? Who couldn't he talk to? And, and the trials and tribulations of getting a book cover that he could live with. And then it exploding, and uh, at last count, it was like what seven, eight, ten. How many languages has it been published in? It's uh oh no, it's not not that many. It's uh four, I want to say. Oh Something four, like okay, that. yeah, that's cool. But again, another experience that we don't you know normally have. I'm still working on English, um, <laughs> and there was the oh dark crystal. Dark Crystal, thank you very much. The Dark mm -hmm. Crystal, which was, now he's dealing with Disney, right? And Disney is pronounced with a dollar sign on the S. Um, and that book is ornate and, you know, I mean, all the other books were beautiful, but this one is just over-the-top, pure Disney treatment, and, and Gaines had it be Gaines in there. Uh, and now, you know... Now he, you know, it's so funny. Uh, every once in a while, I would, I'd walk down to his uh, classroom and check in on him, and uh, he would just mumble little things, you know, because he really he doesn't like most writers. Don't talk about the project you're working on. Um, he's like, oh, I got this idea. This thing is really, I think it's got a hold of me. That kind of thing. And um, throughout the time, he was like, "Well, it was this old play. He just wouldn't say anything, you know. Don't want to jinx anything." And then he. Un he he lets this loose in the world. But, and but this no, is, I mean, this is probably the, the longest of the books you've written, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's the, it's the most interesting research. I mean, there's so many people there that, I mean, you had to go <laughs> and, and pull stuff from people who have been dead for, I don't know how many decades, you know? Yeah, you got to do a lot of interviews on, beforehand on the them, phone. Yeah, it's really but, 
But then here's the last of the compliments, and then we'll let Cassine talk for a while. Uh, every one of the books that Cassine gains and articles, you chase down Cassine Gaines, you get to read about Howard the Duck and a few other things. Um, they all had one, his love of entertainment and what it offers the public. That's always in there. And it's, uh, there's a purity of uh, reportage and a vitality to how he, how he tells the tale of these uh, beloved uh, pieces of entertainment. In this piece, footnotes, you get all of that. But underneath, in this beautiful, beautifully crafted subtext, you also get uh, a, a part of American history that America is just maybe, possibly beginning to deal with, you know, and this book is such a great reminder of how overt racism was taken as the norm and how much extra, you know, we write about it with your character, uh, Blackjack, but you really get to see how much, how deep the racism ran back then and then it starts to echo in, in modern times and you realize how timely this book is. And that's what Kasim Gaines has given the world this year. While there's COVID, while he was doing his 38 other jobs and trying to dodge, oh, that old geezer's coming to visit me again. I got business, I got stuff to do. So, Mr. Gaines, how, uh, how has this experience been for you? This experience has been... Um really interesting and thank you for that um that recounting of the uh, really the, the last 10 years that i've been <laughs> writing and releasing things into the world and i i actually want to make a really important correction which is i don't know if you remember well I, i'm assuming you don't remember it this way but i had told you uh, about 12 years ago or so that i had reached out and had spoken to some people that had worked on Pee Wee's Playhouse. And um, they were these great stories that they had and they were just really interesting people. And your question, which I, I remember vividly, um, was, so what are you gonna do with these stories? And I said, I'm not doing anything. I'm having conversations with people. And you said, yeah, but if they're great stories, what are you going to do with them? Have you thought about a, a blog or a, a son? And I said, no, I haven't thought about anything. I'm just, I'm talking to people. And, and it was really that conversation that led to perhaps it's a book, perhaps it's a podcast, perhaps it's a, perhaps it's something, but um, cultivating and, and getting those stories together for some purpose. And really, you know, I can say this now, um, but at the time, I was just sort of bluffing. I started reaching out to people and saying, hey, I'm writing a book on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, would you like to be interviewed for it? And then people, more people said yes. It's much. I found, funnily enough, that it was easier to do that with no, I'm talking no book deal. Like I was just, you know, essentially just lying at that point. But it was easier to get people to say yes than to just say like, Hey, I'm a big fan from 25 years ago. You know, would you like to <laughs> talk about what it was like on set? You know, it gave some legitimacy. And then once I had about a dozen or so people that had agreed to partake in some book, quote unquote, um, it felt like, well, maybe there's a responsibility that I that I have to these people now to to try it, you know? <laughs> or else they will hunt you down. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So it was it was definitely um, that was really the 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 way that that came about. But the experience with footnotes now that this being. Uh, a decade later, my Pee Wee book came out in 2011. This is 2021, and the book was just released um, on May 21st. So, it's it's just been incredibly different, and and in a lot of ways, it feels like the first time I've ever released a book. You know, it's really funny in that regard because 
I, I always said um, when maybe this is just my like hang up my personal hang up or something, but maybe this is true. I don't know. Maybe it's somewhere in between, but like if I go to a bookstore to have a signing of uh, a book on back to the future, let's say as, as popular as that book um, ended up being, I'm, I'm trying to get someone who walked into a bookstore to buy, you know, the latest hardcover, James Patterson, whatever. I'm trying to stop them at the door and get them to get my, my book on a movie, you know, I'm trying to get them to do that. And, and I can get them to do that if I can get them to the table and do the pitch and, and sometimes it works out, but that's not really what they walked through the door for. Probably, probably. Likewise, if I'm at a, a comic convention, I'm trying to get someone who would happily spend, you know, $150 on a bobblehead to buy my $16 book. And they don't really, they're not there for the book. They're there for other things. So, so I've, I've always felt, um, regardless of, of what reviews have said or, or how sales have been or, or not been or whatever the case may be, I've always sort of felt like um, I've been trying to force myself into two separate spaces where I never totally fit. And again, maybe that's just me feeling that way. Um, but with footnotes, I, I, it, in a lot of ways, it, it, it feels like it's, it's, being, it's being received as a book, mm. quote unquote. It's being received as, you know, um, as, as a, a legitimate book, whatever that means. And uh, to me, it feels very much so in terms of the way that I wrote it, the, my process, um, it's not all that different to me than the other books. That's kind of the funny thing. I, I just had a book, a virtual book event a couple of weeks ago and someone said, as their question, I was in conversation with someone. They said, can you explain? Cause I'm, I just don't quite understand. How do you go from Pee Wee Herman to, to this book? And I said, well, um, <laughs> I've, I've just always been interested in interesting stories. And to me, the story of Pee Wee Herman is about uh, a guy who comes out of nowhere, um, works hard, grinds it out, becomes a success, um, has everything, and loses it. And loses it overnight, and then has to figure out how to sort of get it back. Um, does he ever fully get it back? And those beats are kind of the same beats of this book. I mean, they're kind of the, it's kind of the same story, in a sense. It's just not seen the same way. And so I said, to me, it, it's actually, um, there's a strong correlation. And I don't quite know if, if the person who was <laughs> interviewing me knew what to do with that, really. But that's, that's the way that I... Well, one of, the, one of the things I noticed in every single one of your books is that your books tend to be the celebration of people who have achieved the impossible. You know, they, they had some quirky idea that didn't seem like it would work. The odds were against them. And then they, you know, I mean, even back to the future that, all right, we, we have one movie. Wait, no, it's three. How are we going to mm -hmm. do this? You know, and all that other stuff. Um, and but, even casting a different lead. That's right. Having to recast that, you know, that I learned first yeah. in, uh, don't need no roads. Ah. Uh, the Cassine Gaines book. Right. Wait, that's not the exact. We don't. We don't need roads. We, we don't, don't need roads. roads. We got to get them right. If you're going to go to Amazon, ladies and gentlemen, you can't <laughs> listen to me. You have to listen to the <laughs> games. Um, but one thing that uh, uh, there's a gradation of difference with footnotes, and that is that the stakes are greater, and the impossibility was more palpable. Mm. So that would be two. <laughs> so if you could be so kind as to give us like the thumbnail, the elevator pitch, which is, I know, is very difficult for this particular book. How do you explain to people say, well, well, you know, your aunt. Well, what is this? <laughs> so uh, Footnotes is, um, I think of it as a group biography of these four artists, Noble Sissel, U.B. Blake, Floyd Miller, and Aubrey Lyles, that came together to create 
a Broadway show in 1921 that was an all black production, an all black creative team. Writers. In 1921. In 1921. And it was the phenomenon of that year on stage. It was, it's not an exaggeration to say that it was Hamilton almost a century before Hamilton. And it was a show that brought jazz to Broadway, um, introduced Josephine Baker to the world. It integrated Broadway audiences, actually. Um, it was written about by the likes of W.E.B. Du Bois, Langston Hughes, Claude McKay. Um, it was just this amazing cultural moment. And the book chronicles the kind of it takes a long it takes a long um lens view i'll say at looking at the factors that led to these four men coming together creating this work and then ultimately how this work that was so incredibly influential became sort of lost to history um in the century that um after it debuted and so that's that's probably the shortest pitch that I can give, and there's you know obviously other things at play. And I just want to I just want to just quickly you know for for some folks to get some sense of 1921. One thing that I pulled up here. This is this is first person account right here. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna hunt you down. Uh, one thing that was very very um, uh, unfortunate in 1921 was the Tulsa race massacre. Yes, which was which was less than one week after Shuffle Along opened on Broadway, actually. And I yeah. think part of the the um, balance, I think, of this book was trying to show, as I think Chris put, like the incredible stakes for these black artists and um, and the black community at large, but then also out of this tumultuous time, there also was progress and joy and success. And they were happening simultaneously. It wasn't mm -hmm. one than the other. They were both existing in the same United States. And so, um, and, and affected, uh, I don't say each other, you know, but there was, there was sort of a, um, it was murky. It was it was a murky time, and I think um, I wanted to try and explore that in the book, and not just make it this show was so successful a hundred years ago. Let's just yeah. celebrate it. But what makes it, I think, really interesting is looking at those stakes and making very clear what those stakes were. Mm -hmm. Not to give too much uh, away, but one of the things that you do extraordinarily well is figure out and i remember you learning um about this and how to do this with the first book with peewee but you you take the time to figure out all right where am i going to start this story and then i'll go back to the beginning of the story and tell and the opening chapter of footnotes is it's again here's another example of why i'm so impressed with this book it uses physical humor to set stakes that are not funny at all, right? Three of the four creators of this story are, they got one foot out the door during the show when a particular song is going to come up because they think that will, that will start the riot and they are ready to flip. <laughs> <laughs> they're ready to flee and that moment physically is humorous and then when we find out why they're so concerned you know that it's a love song well, what the hell what's the problem with a love song well it's a love song between two black people can't have that shit what the hell on a, on a Broadway stage I mean it was just taken for granted and and your ability to organically establish that culture is is one of the things that makes this book so important you know and that you travel through american culture over the decades and that is the history of this um and do not make it easy 
on any parts of the culture or, or whether it's the four players or the culture at large, who portions of which outgrow, you know, some of the things, the, some of the elements of the show. So it, it's, uh, it's a fascinating on so many different levels. How'd you do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know why'd you do it? Why this story? Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll take. So I'll talk about the opening. Then I'll, I guess I'll, I'll open up to why this story. But it's so funny about this opening of this book because um, I don't know if I've ever had a, a story that I've written or anything like that where I've been satisfied with the opening. And I, I think I've always like thrown it out or heavily changed it. Or um, I feel like, I feel like we've had this conversation before to some extent where like, sometimes I find like the third paragraph is really the beginning. And like, I, I write, and then I just throw out the first couple paragraphs. Well, just... we've, we've attempted to teach that to high school students for years, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times they haven't started their essay until the third or fourth paragraph. Remember, we used to just call, we used to call that discovery essays. Do you remember that? That was like a thing where like they didn't they didn't discover what they were going to write about until like the fourth paragraph. So you just got to cross out. For, but um, for us, it I, might be a chapter or two. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it, but it has been. And so the two funny things about the opening, and um, the first is my editor. So this is important. In fact, I'll I'll go into this because. I know this is a lot of the people that are listening are probably writers, people that um, have been published, want to publish. So this is a little bit of like inside baseball, but I think you'll find it relevant. <laughs> so um, I just want to go through my experience of the five books to explain how this book even got published and in what landscape. So the Pee Wee book, I did not have an agent. It was traditionally published. I just looked for publisher. Actually, that's not true. I went to Barnes and Noble. I went to their arts and entertainment section. And I just looked at the spine of the books and looked for books that seemed like they were interesting to me and in the vicinity of what I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. um, and I probably pulled eight, nine books. And of the eight or nine books that I pulled, some sizable amount, like three or four of them were from this publisher called ECW Press, which I had never heard of, never. But they were enough of this, you know, there were enough of their books in this pile where I looked them up. I realized that they um, took, um, uh, you know, solicitations without agents. And I reached out to them among other people. And ultimately they were um, the people that were interested in this book. So that was published with them. Great Christmas story published with them as well. So now I'm thinking everything's going great. Everything's good. I go to them with um, my back to the future idea and they say, no, they reject it. They, they, um, and I remember their, their thought process was that the back to the future fandom was like uh I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw this analogy up, um, like a mile wide and an inch deep, I think was their thought process, mm. as opposed to, you know, maybe there are fewer Pee Wee Herman fans, but the Pee Wee Herman fans are going oh. to be, they're going to buy this. And so, um, and in a way, this is probably, this is actually, I won't say it far. So anyway, uh, so, anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, Chris thinks I don't know how to self-edit, but I, I've gotten better. I've <laughs> gotten much better, much, much better. I've gotten better at it. So, um, so then I, I was, I, two books published and I'm essentially, I'm, I'm out of the game, you know, for all intents and purposes. <laughs> and so short career, <laughs> short career. And so I start, um, just back to square one. I start, uh, you know, querying agents and things like that and trying to find anyone of interest. And this is such a funny accident, but I, I reached out to someone, um, named Peter Steinberg who wrote, who was the agent for a book called um, I'm a Lebowski, you're a, oh, you're a Lebowski about the big Lebowski. Mm -hmm. 
and um, which I which I liked. And so I reached out to him, didn't hear back. And so much time had gone by that um, I had forgotten that I reached out to him. And so I sent him a letter. This was not meant to be a repeat. This was just, I just forgot that I had reached out to him. And he emailed me back within like 10 minutes. And I just think sometimes like my email very clearly, either on the day that he looked at it, he tossed it aside. I, it was, it went in the reject pile. It got lost in an email. Some, the happy accident of me emailing him twice, somehow I got a response right back and um, he was interested and he ended up uh, representing me um, for that book. And he's still my agent today. And that was for, we don't need roads. And that went to Penguin Random House published that book. Um, And so again, I could not, frankly believe it like I went from like a, a small independent publisher um who rejected this the same very book with and I I should probably mention with not a word of the proposal changed it was the exact same proposal mm. that we just that we shopped around and it was picked up by Penguin Random House they published it and then um concurrent with that I was approached at that point to write the Dark Crystal book, which I accepted and did. And then I could not get anyone, anyone to take footnotes. No one. And what did your agent think about footnotes? My agent, my agent really liked it. And in fact, because um, my agent liked it so much, we stuck with it. You know, I, yeah, I'll say, and, and, and I, I should probably mention this too. The book did not really start as this project. It actually, at first, my thought was that I was going to write a book on, of all things, believe it or not, on West Side Story. And this ah. is before the Spielberg film was announced. This is, this is back in 2017 or 2016 or something like that. I was going to just write something about this film and, um, you know, Puerto Rican culture in New York. And it was, it was essentially going to be what footnotes kind of turned into, but looking at West Side Story and then, um, the feedback that I kind of got was that West Side Story was was kind of irrelevant to the cultural conversation, which now is very funny because now West Side Story, and now West Side Story is, is everywhere, soon to be everywhere. Not to mention uh, in the Heights. In the right, exact right. I yeah. mean, boy, what a yeah. what a what a moment! And uh, so, magazines, please contact Cousin Gaines. He can do at least an article for you. If not, yes, I, I I did some <laughs> I did some interviews for it already. So I have some go. stuff that's. Um, and then <laughs> we shopped this around just to everyone, 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 and it was just rejected everywhere. And keep in mind, I was several books in. I'm thinking, you know, I I'd been on. Entertainment Tonight, I've been in NPR and I've been on all these places and I'm sure from the outside it looked like, you know, you know, I was on this unstoppable, I could publish anything sort of thing. And I could not get this book published for the, for the life of me. And ultimately, funnily enough, um, a writer by the name of Kate Moore, who wrote a brilliant book um, called The Radium Girls. She, it was a book that I really loved and we were using it as a comp title as we were selling the book. You know, if you like The Radium Girl, it was basically, right. if you like The Radium Girls and Hidden Figures, you will enjoy Footnotes. Mm-hmm. And we never thought to pitch the people who published Kate Moore's book. Oh, we, it course. just never, it somehow, <laughs> it just... It just escaped us. And so when we finally realized it, it ended up, wait till you see how I land this plane. Remember what the question was. It was about 35 minutes ago. But wait till you see how I bring it all back to the original question. That's all right. I've he's, learned, he's, for, for he's learned something from me, I'll tell you. I'm good. I'm good. I got, so, I got, I got a nice pillow. I got, I got the earbuds in. I'm good. So, um, so uh, when we uh, pitched it to Sourcebooks, it was acquired by um, an editor uh, by the name of Grace Mary Weinfeld, and she was Kate Moore's editor on Radium Girls. Loved it. Oh, happy wow. to take it. And within about three or four months of her acquiring footnotes, she left source books. All right. So the book was acquired, but then I had lost, you know, the, in, my, in my view, like the, the champion, champion for this book. But here's where the plane lands is... Grace and I spoke um, several times over that period, you know, in the first couple of months. And she gave me a piece of advice that I never forgot with this book. 
And it brings me to the, the intro, which was she said, don't start the book with an introduction of here's what Shuffle Along was. It was really important. You know, you're going to learn about this, that, and the other thing. She said, don't, don't start with, with that sort of thing. People will know what's important by virtue of the fact that it's in a book. Like, just trust that people will know what's important. <laughs> she said, just start the story. Yes. Just start the story. And if you, people will be into the book if you can get them hooked in the first page, they're not going to be hooked because you tell them it's important. I promise. <laughs> and, and because of that, the book just starts with, with action. You know, we're just, uh, we're just starting. And so I actually had a different um, kind of prologue to this book. And it went all the way until probably about a day or two before I submitted my first draft. And I just, it started at um, just a, much later in the book and it just didn't feel right to me. And I felt like um, I, I needed to get all four of the guys in the opening scene. Mm. And I, I didn't know, you know, this is a great lesson, I think, in using what you have, because as Chris said, um, all of, you know, all of my guys are, are dead. All of my main subjects are dead. Um, I did not have the Ouija board. I could not conjure them up. And so there are actually very few anecdotes in the book where all four of them are, are a part of that anecdote. Mm -hmm. So... I knew I had to pull one of them from the, the, the proper context of the book and get it up front. And it seemed like this was the best one to sort of get shades of their personalities while also helping to let the reader know that while we, yes, are talking about this show, we're also putting this show in the larger shell of race in America and all of that. And, and this just seemed like a great way to sort of do that in four or five pages. And so it was, it was a last minute change, but it seemed like it did what it needed to do. Well, that long way around to get there really offers um, our aspiring writers a few great lessons, you know, don't, don't wait until you know everything to, to launch into your career and just keep working and, and uh, you know, write, tell the damn story. And, you know, sometimes the need to tell a story uh, pushes you to take the risks, you know, and that kind of thing. So that, that there was a, uh, just a whole wealth uh, in there. So thank you for that. I, also, I, want, I would also yeah. say that, that, you know, what you've also very wonderfully um, uh revealed for us in, in your product placement story. Yeah, right. No, what you've also revealed is, you know, the reality that creative writing is a process. You know, I, I've never liked the word process because it doesn't feel creative, the word itself. But yeah, there are steps, there are degrees, there are levels, there are, there are all these movements that one has to go through in getting the story to its proper place. And, and that's why, you know, the, some, some, sometimes the devil is in the rewrites and all that. So you were literally down to the wire with an opening that you had established and had, you know, kept there for some time. But something in your creative gut was saying, eh, mm, and then listening to constructive critiquing and suggestions that ruminated in your head for a period of time. And so that you were able to make that final adjustment and say, no, I got to rewrite this. I got to, I got to set this this way. And by doing that, that's where your success came. And I think that again, that just really truly illustrates that, you know, once you write something down, that's, that's not it. It's not the gospel, but you get to rework it and, and spend some time with it and, manipulate it until it feels like, yeah, okay, okay, this is, this is the better rendition. This, is, this feels good or whatever it is that's going to help you then place it in the hands of another 
uh, for a reaction. I think that's one of the uh, telltale signs of a professional writer versus an aspiring writer. You know, where you say, okay, what does it need? How do I serve the story? You know, and uh, you have that instinct that, wait, I, I still, it still needs something. Now there's a danger to spending your whole life saying it's, it still needs something and you don't get finished. <laughs> you know, uh, game, uh, Cassine Gaines is an example of getting things finished and, and moving on. And, and uh, I have two other areas I want to talk about. One, can I, put, can I interrupt for one second? Cause, cause I want to, I want to make do whatever you want. It's no, your show. Is, as that guy said. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, but I wanted to, I, I wanted to, to jump on that point because um, something both of you said, Resonate. One thing that both of you just said resonated with me. Um, one, that's why you I think, have us on as guests. <laughs> one, I think, is uh, Alex talking about process and maybe process feeling like a, a naughty word or, or a too scientific of a word for what you know we all do as writers or something like that. But I, I feel kind of strongly. I think that like I don't think. The other... It's one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't think that the other beginning of the book would have necessarily been bad. I just think that it could have been better. And I think sometimes you do have to sort of... It's hard to figure out. And I'm maybe you never really figure it out. I think I'm still figuring it out. But mm-hmm. when you... When it actually isn't working and can actually be improved upon and when you're just sort of being insecure and Mm -hmm. you know and all of that Mm -hmm. sort of thing and so it felt like by getting rid of what I had before and then you know reworking this new opening I felt I had made it better um I'm still frankly I'm not kidding um nor fishing for compliments but i'm still surprised when people say they like that opening because in my mind i still feel like it could be better like that opening you know i, I really that's, do that's really... the standard writer experience <laughs> yeah. right? um, it's, it's true i just I could have like done it's... i could yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and so and the other thing is you know i i was juggling four main characters in this book and i have a um a buddy of mine named uh, Brian J. Jones, who um, wh- who wrote the Jim Henson biography and he wrote a George Lucas biography. One of, I'm sure there are, I think there are a couple, um, but great, great writer, excellent writer. And um, I, there was one time where I was just completely stuck because I, st- the book was originally structured where we followed Noble Sissel and Yubi Blake, one of the duos, and we followed them for probably five or six chapters by themselves. And then they were going to meet this other duo, Miller and Lyles. And then we were going to like flash back and get their backstory and then catch us back up to mm-hmm. the, and, and I remember kind of talking this through with him and between working with him and someone that I, I hired to, read the book before I submitted my first draft. So I'm calling it my first draft, but it really, you know, we yeah, all know. Yeah, it's, yeah, first yeah. draft is... is first you know, publishable draft yeah, right, different right. than first draft. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, uh, so I had someone and the, the consensus was kind of like, well, you can't do that. We've gone on this journey or you can't rewind yeah. back to the beginning and catch up. And so that kind of bouncing back and forth between these narratives really came after all of those pieces were written. You know, I like to write chronologically. I just Mm. like to try and go on the same journey that the reader is going to go on. It doesn't work for me to bounce around. Um, But it's funny because in this particular book, I, I did, the book did kind of follow a different structure. And then I was able to kind of chop up large port, like I'm talking chapters, you know, and literally lift chapters four through six now become one, three, and five, you know, that sort of thing. And it, it you, worked out. You Tarantino'd your own book. I did. I did. <laughs> Accidentally, yeah. But it, oh, I wow. did. And it was kind of a weird well, thing to do. But having 
not been part of that, but been part of the reading experience in saying that you would have gone with the two for a couple of chapters, like five chapters, then it would have thrown off the balance because one of the things, one of the things, one of the reasons why Shovel Long worked is because four unique talents came together. And the way you're, you have it laid out now, you can see that emerging, you know? So again, it's another great lesson is that, you know, I always say, let it suck. Just write it. Tell the damn story, right? And then go back and make it suck less, right? And that's kind of what you're talking about is, all right, I got it out there in a form. Then you had to find the form. Mm-hmm. And, and at a certain point, you must have said, this feels right. Because you got it to an a editor or a publisher and, you know, they took over. Yeah, no, it it definitely felt right. And I think my, you know, I, I'm very bad with word counts. As you can all tell, I have a, um, a a pretty tenuous relationship with brevity. And so (laughs) (laughs) we had noticed you were generous because we we obviously (laughs) don't have any better relationship with it ourselves. Um, But I'm I'm taking the cake here today. Um, But it's I, but I, but in all seriousness, I'm tr- I'm trying to offer, you know, for for people that would like to write, you know, or or would like to get their work out. Like I'm trying to, I'm b- being a little granular on purpose, you know, <laughs> to try and. Um, but I I have to say, and I take a lot of pride in this, you know, footnotes was the easily the the most expansive book that I've ever written in terms of scope, in terms of importance, you know, to me, to, I think, you know, readers or whoever, you know, whoever reads it. Um, and also it was the book that where I got the, the fewest notes. And I, and I don't say mm. that to say I got it right the first time mm. because, you know, I'm, I'm magical. I mean it to say, I really, worked it and worked it and worked it and worked it before I submitted it. Like I, I really made it my job to like try and hand it in, in the most publishable way possible. And there were things to change. I'm not saying that they wrote back and they said, perfect, you know, cut and print, you know, that's not what it was, but, but it was much smaller things than, um, than other books. And, and I think I just felt um, it was important for me to get right for me because it was different than everything else I'd written. I think there was a large, uh, there was a very large part of me that never forgot that I was the guy who got his first book deal writing about Pee Wee Herman. And so I had to, for me, for me, I had to hand in something that I thought would be the best thing I'd ever written clearly so that someone didn't go, why in the world did we give that Pee Wee Herman guy like the opportunity? <laughs> to like, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just my own personal you know, thing. You know, the funny thing, because I think, I, and I've written this uh, on a few occasions and I say it to my students, perception can be an ally or an enemy uh, depending. And it's funny. I look, at exactly what you said from a completely different angle, you were able to start your career with a book about Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> you know, and you know, I mean, really think about that. <laughs> think about that. It was never, at least for me, and, and I know you far, far less than, than Chris, but it was never for me whether or not you had skills. It was just, what were you going to apply them to and where were you going to go? And you went from Pee Wee Herman to the next project, to the next project, to the next project. And we're always looking for what can I do next and how well. And it was important to you to do it well. And it was important to you to expand your skill set and expand your knowledge while you were going. And I think those things contribute to the caliber of the books that you have turned out from Pee Wee Herman to Footnotes. And Lord help me, how long have you been writing? 
Um, this is twenty four uh, years at least. <laughs> um, I would say, like you know, professionally, quote unquote, I would say in the for a dozen for a dozen years. So about say. twelve years. So this is the first twelve years of your professional career as a writer. Lord help us, where is it going to go? Let's let's just you know get some popcorn, sit back and watch. Because I I don't I don't feel, and I'm not saying this to pat you on the back. I'm just literally looking at the evidence you tend to expand with each project. And, and I think that unless for some reason you decide, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I, I really, I'm very curious to see what's he going to take on next? Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to, if it, look, if it was, if I can just have some popcorn and just sit back and watch too, it'd be a lot easier. Hey, there's a seat that. right next to me. <laughs> yeah, right next to me. You know. Um, and, and just to clarify for everyone who you know may not know Mr. Gaines as 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 I do, while he was writing this book and you know being honest in his editorial appraisal of the book and what else it needed, and that that honesty is so key. He was also a full time teacher, uh, a union rep for the school he was in. Um, Still involved in uh, the plays, both in school and outside. Yeah, and that's from uh, a directorial standpoint, also, as, as I understand? Uh, yes. Um, yeah. Also involved in uh, serving the, his, his community uh, in, uh, politically and socially. And um, just he's got so many jobs. So it's a, it's a very pleasant challenge to you out there. Those views, I can't find the time. Well, hold, remind the, remember that name, and then and, and maybe it'll push you to go a little further. I want to talk to you about the new element that Footnotes is getting. I mean, you've, you've gotten press before um, in each of these books, and, uh, but the, the names of the publications that are writing about Footnotes... Um, that that might have been an interesting experience for you. I mean, with Chicago Tribune, Variety, uh, New York Times. Uh, I probably could name a, uh, about twenty more, uh, including the Bergen Record. Uh, that's in there. New, New Jersey News is in there. So you have the hometown crowd too. Um, but the national attention. Was that new for you, and how did you deal with it? So I said to um, my wife, probably, um, I want to say it was like on a on a Tuesday or something, I said, you know, I, I hate feeling this way, but it is, it's great getting amazing press. And like, I, but I used to, I used to get such like a rush out of it. And, and now... I'm, I've become obsessed with going like, okay, was there an uptick in sales? And I'm like, oh my God, why, like, what, like, I hate that that's like, I've become that way. Oh, you you she, want she goes, this to succeed. Well, she, yeah. Yeah. And she goes, and she goes, no, well, do you really feel that way? And I said, I, I think I do. I mean, I don't know. And so that was like on a Tuesday. And then on, in that very week on a Thursday, the New York times does a review of footnotes and Everything I had said on Tuesday went out the window, sure. and I and I could not believe that the New York Times, like it, like I I couldn't care less if it didn't move a single book. Like I I could not. I was just beside myself. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. And um, I loved how many of your <laughs> classmates posted that and uh, shared it and all that stuff. That was really a cool moment. And of course, I. I stole it from Holly or somebody and, <laughs> and reposted it myself. But yeah. So uh, you didn't know that was coming. I, you know what? So like, there's a little bit of inside baseball, but I, so the way that it, the way that it, that's works, why people come to your show. <laughs> the, <laughs> thank you. Well, pull up a chair. So the, the way, the way that it worked was um, we, when I say we, I'm talking about my publicist at the publisher. Mm -hmm. um, received word the New York Times had requested a copy. So that was, you know, okay. So we gave them the copy, of course. And um, 
you know, charge them twenty six ninety nine. Give them a copy, of course. <laughs> um, there he goes. He didn't. He didn't get twenty six ninety five here at Tell Them Story. That's it. We that's rate it. more than the New York Times. <laughs> so, uh, so I, so they, they read it, and uh, or I guess then the next thing we got, we got word that um, they were considering writing a review, and then that was great. I mean, like I was very excited about that, and then we got word that they were writing a review for part of their summer reading guide or, or whatever they call it. And so that was great. And then, then I had this moment where like the blood quickly drained from my body. And I said, so that means they like it. Right. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, my, and my publicist said, well, <laughs> She said, she said, well, um, to be honest with you, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the New York Times is going to give you an honest review. And, and she said, and, and look, it's probably going to be average at best. And average at best for the New York Times is is pretty good. Like, take you know, take it. And so, uh, so I was like, all right. So even though I did not know what day it was coming, when it was coming, that was a surprise, and it legitimately did catch me by surprise. But I also did not know. I, I knew that there was not the promise that it was going to be a favorable review. So it was like in you know in the producers or something like when i saw the review i couldn't click the button fast enough and go oh my god what did they say what they say and uh and thankfully thankfully it was very kind and very nice and and, but i was i was was, an excellent review yeah i was a little i was scared i mean i'm not gonna lie i was a little scared you know yeah (laughs) so but it was nice it was nice that's cool and um have you uh was it the publicist who did the press releases or did you have to be a part of that? Or, you know, so, the, we usually writers have to do a lot of that kind of legwork themselves. So what has the experience been on this? Oh, by the way, we probably should talk about the publisher, right? Source books is the name Source, of the publisher. Source books. Yep. There we go. Well, I'd give credit where it's due. Yes. So, um, so I, the, uh, I did not write the press release. They handled that at the publisher and they pitched, um, you know, far and wide and some places, of course, said yes. And some places, of course, did not. Um, did it worry you not being involved in that? Because like for Pee Wee, you were sending out your own press release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and let's be honest. I mean, I'm always to some extent. I mean, look, I. You're the a promise that guy. I always, yeah, I always make this promise. You know, I know some. Uh, some writers who kind of have the mindset of, you know, my job is to write, their job is to sell. And I, that's, I don't think that's true. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that's helpful for anyone. Um, I mean, you know, your goal as a writer is to get your work read by as many people, you know, Um, if someone checks out, yeah. I mean, if someone, look, if someone checks footnotes out of the library and, and enjoys it and recommends it to someone, you know, the fact that they read it for free doesn't bother me any, you know, yeah. recommend it to someone, you know, share, write a review. Someone's going to buy it down you know? the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so the publicist handle all that. Um, it didn't bother me not being involved with that. In fact, it was kind of great because I got to kind of take my hands off, but I, I will say that's that's a tricky thing um and i guess my sort of like it, part of it is kind of like it's easy for me to say advice but the sort of advice that i would give to anyone who has written something and maybe it's it's self published is maybe like see if you can get someone to help out with that mm. even if it's even if it's not a paid person honestly even if mm-hmm. it's someone who can just assist in the looking at the press release that maybe you've written and editing that because that's frankly a a press release is almost as important as the book that it's selling to be honest with you so maybe editing that maybe you know looking for not just sending something to submissions at you know newyorktimes.com but look for who are the the reviewers that have that have reviewed books like the book that you've written Mm -hmm. you know like just someone who can help with the research of that because as someone who who did it by himself for a long time it's it's hard to do it's 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 a job it's It's a job job. it's a it is literally a job 
And thank God there are publishers who eventually might take it over for us. But, you know, the idea of going from, you know, Pee Wee, sending it to submissions at, and then yeah. learning yeah. the few names and using yeah. those names and getting, you get more and more sophisticated. That's a, a valuable lesson to share. Um, we, are, we are just running a little, little, little bit close to the, 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 the hours it were. Yeah. So. Uh, Alex, I, look, I'm, since it's my podcast, I give permission to go as long. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was all my 30-minute answers. That's all right. It was, it was great no, it was stuff. All good stuff, yeah. But, so let's, let's ask the question, Alex, that every person hates to hear. Oh, okay. okay. That one? There, you know, it's here you are, you've gotten this, you've, you've, gestated this and you've given birth to footnotes and now it's it's going and getting some attention and hopefully those sales that you've been looking at are doing okay and all that stuff and then here comes the question they always ask at end of interviews and it always sucks so what are you doing next Yes, the old question. What are you doing next? It's a terrible um, question. Isn't it, it is. It is a terrible question. It's like it's. It's literally. It feels like the camera's like, off. I'm going to beat the, you senseless. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, you the, know, the justification is that we always tell writers, especially new writers, write your thing, polish it, make it as best you can, send it out, and immediately start on something else. Yes, because if you're just waiting for that, then it. it you know. So, so what are you? A lot of negative say? things happen. Just so me. how does that work for, I mean, someone who has got literally 38 jobs? So so the, the two answers that I will give, I'm going to be coy on, on both of them, of is, um, is I'm the experience of, of working on footnotes and telling a story of um, not just these four men, but then there were so many other artists and people who... Um, should be better known names, but they just aren't, has led me down several rabbit holes. And so I'm currently working on, um, beginning to work on, I don't want to oversell it, tinkering with a story of someone who um, was amazingly influential to um, American culture, a Black person. And um, they are, they literally, and I mean this literally, disappeared from history not erased disappeared and um and so that is a story that's a great teaser (laughs) and so that's something and then the other thing that i will make mention of is um you know the the eyes and attention on footnotes has led to um several calls and meetings of people that are interested in optioning the book for potential screen things what did i we were talking about it yesterday it, was, <laughs> yeah. it would make a great uh uh multi-part documentary and stuff like that yeah, yeah. so i said movie uh, so keep he your, said documentary keep your fingers crossed and uh um, cards and, and letters we'll, coming we'll yeah. see yeah, uh, yeah. Well, fingers crossed we you know and that's that is another road uh all uphill in the sun and blinding rain and horrendous hurricane winds and snow <laughs> snow blind it, that, that's just oh my god so not quite a know, walk in the park i huh? hope i hope i hope we can bring you back to your show soon and talk <laughs> yeah. about how that came to fruition but uh it's been really Ooh. fun to watch you on this journey and it was thrilling to read this book and a great education you know um, I I'm looking forward to more of it, and we'll we'll come up with other excuses to bring you back. But Alex, Anytime. what do you think we're gonna say? What, what, what do you got to say? How are we gonna wrap this bad boy up? Uh, we have to wrap him up too. Oh, yes. oh yes. <laughs> no, the show and throw him in the back of the car. You know, talk about hey, there's still yeah, yeah. Tracy over you know, here. Write the kidnap <laughs> note, okay? <laughs> you know, uh, no, obviously yes, we will have Cassine back again and again and again. And this is episode one. Nine eight. Ooh. So we are two more episodes away from the big two hundred, the the big right. monumental two hundredth episode of, of where we of interview Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
just before he no never mind so anyway so thank you for being book. a part of of this walk to the big 200 for us and for okay. being a part of so many of the other episodes and more so um i i say this from the bottom of my my little heart uh, no but honestly for being a really prime example of something that chris and i both believe in which is again you know giving some guidance and then getting the hell out of the way of youth because you guys have a lot to say and a lot to do and a lot more talent than sometimes you're given credit for. And you have proven that you have, you have really climbed. He was talking all these metaphors. You've really climbed some mountains and it's been really a pleasure to watch that. And thank you for being a part of letting us be a part of that journey and being a part of ours as well. So thank you very much, Cassine. And yeah, you're stuck with us. We're going to keep coming at you. Well, I, listen, anytime, uh, I, I appreciate the invite to be on, uh, you know, always. So thank you on, so tell much. Tell the and, damn story. Yes. Yeah, Cassine Gaines. <laughs> yeah, right. Very special episode. Oh, and but thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So anyway, it's, it's great, great, great. Episode 198, Sunday noon. It will be up, if not sooner. This Sunday? And, no, not this Sunday. A week from not tomorrow, but right because we've got. Oh, the, that's right. Uh, I'm sorry. So no. So then, right. We got flinch ooh, books coming up ooh, tomorrow. Ooh, ooh. Right. You're, Make sure you tune in for that. You're even closer. You're episode one nine nine. Ooh. Oh, grasshopper. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So nine close. nine. Oh, so close. Yeah, okay. Almost. <laughs> yeah. Almost get smart reference. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I stop myself. I stop myself. All right. So either way, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Chris. As always, a knucklehead pleasure. Uh, oh, and, thank you so much. It's always yeah, an right. honor to be in your presence. Sir. Yeah. So to bring me <laughs> presents, did you say? Okay. And folks, please, please stick around. Drop your comment. Give us uh, your thoughts, your wishes, your kind thoughts. Uh, go, go out and get footnotes by Cassine Gaines. That's where I was going. Go out there and purchase it. it. It's available in stores and online, and it's more than worth the read. And please, because, you know, otherwise he won't talk to us anymore. So, again, take care, everybody. Be well. Uh, peace. <laughs>